and welcome back to the Murdy Creative Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Murdy, and today's topic is the Shopify report. But first, I want to say thank you to everyone who supported the company so far. If you haven't got a chance, go check us out on the web at murdycreative.co. That's M-U-R-D-Y creative.co. Or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching at murdycreative.co to see the best of our product shots. Follow us to keep up to date with our daily photos and be the first one to know about new product launches. You can also use the subscribe button at the bottom of our website to be included in all of our new product announcements. Be sure to check out our laser engraving, personalization options, and exclusive colors on the website, or you can get a blank one on Amazon Prime. All right, so I posted on TikTok and on Instagram Reels uh, the other day about the Shopify report that Shopify, Shopify puts out that they do every year. It's, as far as I'm aware, I should say, I don't know if they do this every year. It is a research report that is 139 pages long, and it is what they expect to happen in 2022, what they see in the trends that are happening. And I'm happy to go over the report with you guys today because I think there's a lot of elements in there and some people who watched the reels asked for more details. Now, the good news is this. First and foremost, the report has a lot of good things in it. There's a lot of things that we as a company are doing right based off what the report data is telling us. That being said, there's a lot of things in here that I am not happy to be reading. There's a lot of things in here that are critical problems. And the short version, the really short version, is the playbook that got us to where we are is not going to work moving forward. And I'll go into more detail on that. So the uh, report itself covers three kind of major areas. The future of e-commerce, the future of retail, and then the future of shipping and logistics. And... I'm going to start with them, and I'm just going to go in order of the future of e-commerce. One of the things that they talk about is that, you know, they start out, the only constant in e-commerce is change, and this is true. One of the things that was for the, for the better is that it said that consumers are four times more likely to purchase from a company with strong brand values. That's something we can do. We have strong brand values, things that we stand up for, and we're good at that. And one of the things that really comes into play about our branding is I think we've done a very poor job in the past creating a good story around the branding. Now, we have a good story. That's the thing. I, it's genuinely a compelling story about how the company got started and what we stand for, but I don't think we've very done a very good job of making it clear to consumers and de- generating more information about that. So I'm going to go do more of that. But Now, I printed this and I put it in my Rudy number one here, but I printed this and the problem is I put it in really small font because I two-upped it so that it was only 70 pages in my book, but um, this is an area of things. So in the future of e-commerce, one of the things that they are talking about that's really critical and is going to be a really a big problem for us. So one of the areas in the e-commerce report that they talk about that I think is going to be really important for us is how we end up doing advertising. This is what they say. Cost per click for paid search ads increased 15% between the second and third quarters of 2021 alone. That's not good, of course. Despite the changing digital landscape, 41% of brands plan to increase investment in paid and organic search. Many hope that advances in hyper-segmentation will make their advertising dollars more effective by targeting consumers who are ready to purchase. Here's why that's not going to work. They later, in this exact same e-commerce report, Talk about how the third-party data world is disappearing. And I've talked about this in the past with the Facebook and the Instagram and iOS 14.6 and all of the details that are going along with that. And part of the problem is that with the 41% of companies saying they're going to be increasing their 
paid ad advertisements, paid ad segments, and it already going up 20%, basically 15 to 20% in the third quarter. And it's likely to, I, I, they didn't have any data on the fourth quarter, but I can't imagine it was less than that. We're looking at an increasingly small number of ad spots being gobbled up by an increasingly number of large companies. Now, the companies that have really large profit margins are going to be fine because the companies that really have really large profit margins are able to eat the higher advertising costs. It's just part of the profit. But any company like us that has narrow profit margins is going to really suffer. And we built our entire platform on functionally on new commerce, new customer acquisition through social media advertising. And the big reason for that was because we build a product that you don't necessarily need to buy repeatedly. You buy the journal, the binder, the folio, they'll last you forever. So you don't need necessarily to buy another one. Now we have multiple products and a lot of different things that can support different areas of your life. But at the same time, that's something we knew going into this was going to be a problem with getting returning customers because there's not a lot of reason necessarily for people to buy a hundred binders because they're going to last. That does play to our strengths later in this particular report, though. One of the things they talk about is how third-party data is disappearing, and that's why the hyper-segmentation won't work, because we're starting to get less and less information from our social media platforms as to what the segmentation, of what the, the data is for the individual looking at the ad. One of the things they talk about is to gather customer surveys uh, and using what, well, and this is basically a concept of first-person data, and they talk about this later. And one of the things that they talk about is sharing content on Discord. And that actually made me think a lot because, you know, do we need a public-facing Discord? Do we need to have a place? And for those of you who don't know what Discord is, Discord is a, a software that facilitates, it's like a, it's a something you download on your computer or you have an app on your phone. And functionally, it works a little bit like a chat room forum. So it allows for, there, if you, for example, the Murdy Creative Co. would have its own server is what they're called. And on that server, we would have multiple channels and the channels would be devoted to different topics. Like for example, one channel might be devoted just specifically to um, updates and delays. Maybe another channel would be devoted to feedback. Maybe another channel would be devoted to product development and testing. And we as a company would put on those different channels information about how that things, and it's a place where people who are, anybody on the server can comment, right? So if you're someone who, likes to follow small business development of product, I would be on there talking about, well, I I'm thinking about developing this product. This is some of my early prototypes of it. I don't like any of these results. I don't like any of these designs. What do you guys think? And people could give feedback on that kind of thing. So, you know, using a, a public facing discord would be a good option in that regard because it would allow us to have more intimate conversations in small group settings functionally with our opportunity with, or with our customers. And to that effect, we would be able to, to facilitate focus group, which is something we've always wanted to do because there's a lot of questions that we have. One of the things that is a simple question that I'm hoping that we can implement via an email survey that goes out to you as soon as you purchase, which is, why did you pick the rugged? Was it price or because you liked the look? Because that information is going to be really important as we move forward trying to decide what we can do for the company. Because if price is the only reason people are picking rugged, we have to, we have to be cognizant of that as we look to figure out how to combat these ridiculous costs increases in our materials. Now. There's a lot of different things about, you know, how you focus on this, how do you develop, you know, new different things, how do you uh, do rebranding of your site and things along those lines. But the big thing that I think is going to be a big issue for us is the death party, death of the third party cookie, cookies. 
Now, for those of you who are in the uh, millennial generation and those who are, frankly, both older and younger, it actually kind of crosses a bunch of different things. There's this problem where we've decided we really want our privacy. And hey, I'm one of those people. The problem is, is that as we increase our privacy online, as iOS, after iOS 14.6 increased their privacy procedures for Apple with more you know, people using browsers like Brave or other cookie-blocking browsers, it creates a problem for people like me who have to do marketing because it means that I have no idea who is on my site. I have no idea any information about them because I have no idea who they are, where they're located, what their age group is, what their interest is, what their income level is. I have no way to know whether they're reasonable leads or not. And this is a bigger issue when you talk about spending money on advertising because the goal is for every type of advertising is to spend your advertising dollars putting your product in front of people who can legitimately pay for it and who actually want it. Well, that requires a, quite a bit amount of information to know that information well. But this thing talks about a couple of good ideas. This brand collects data directly. They're talking about a brand that's being successful in this area, um, beating this problem, I should say. This, Dan, uh, this data... Uh, is a, is, this is data, talking about the first-person data, that brand collects directly from their consumers with their consumers' consent. In 2022, 42% of brands plan to offer their customers personalized product recommendations through tools like quizzes, custom mobile apps, and first-person or third-party behavioral data that encourages data sharing. This is an interesting idea that I think actually could be a good fit for us because a lot of customers come to our website not necessarily sure what they need. So if we could develop a good customer quiz, you know, information, getting a little information about who you are, what you plan to use these things for, what you need. I think we can create good recommendations. And frankly, that's a kind of a nice balance between we don't necessarily need to know enough about you, you know, to, you know, we don't need to know anything about you that goes beyond the ability to do those things. But we do need that information to be able to better serve you. That's, I think, kind of the idea that needs to be with this. One of the things they talk about is how personalization isn't making brands more personable. And actually, I read this and I'm like, yes, I understand this completely. When, I don't know. Apple puts my name in the top of their emails. They say, hi, Colin. And then they, that doesn't mean anything to me. I know exactly how that's done. And that doesn't, that's not like cool. And so I think that they talk about here that to become more personable as a brand is, is, is based off of being genuine. And that's really hard to fake, of course. So one of the things that generates customer loyalty is shared identity, rituals and tradition, and a sense of responsibility to serve one another. That is a very interesting concept. I love the idea that our company exists to serve our community, to serve our customers. That I get 100%. But we need to be able to, how do we work on continuing to foster that relationship to be a two-way street? How do we get our, our customers to say, you know what, I want to help serve the brand. I want to help the company succeed. And I think if we can generate that feeling, and I think we can, right? Because I think there are a lot of people who genuinely believe in the project. They believe in what we're doing. They believe in who we are and what we're, what we're trying to accomplish. And so when we come out and say, you know what? First quarter is a really slow season. We really need help. If you can afford to purchase something and you've been looking at getting it, don't wait. Now's the time, right? If we can do that, I think we may be able to see some success in that regard. And it could be a good area for us. Uh, they talk about a lot about building communities, using... Um, Live chats, and there's a lot of interesting information about how customers really do want to have that really close relationship. There's a couple of cool ideas about doing limited edition things um, to create that community because they focus on how you need to have a good relationship and build that and foster that because new customer acquisition may not be as successful as it was in the past, which is an issue for us. 
Video is making social commerce more sociable. Video is the key to unlocking the power of social commerce. Leading brands are focusing on social first approaches like behind the stream live streams, behind the scenes live streams, excuse me, video consultations and personalized product recommendations. Absolutely, this is true. And it's really creating a challenge for me because I have to get better at making videos and I have to learn a new skill here, but that's good. And there are a lot of elements where I think we as a company have such a great opportunity to do great videos. We have amazing behind the scenes. We have so much information. We do a cool thing. We make a cool product. So we can have a lot of cool opportunities there. I just need to be better about how to do it. Uh, they also talk about live, live chat. 58% of shoppers say an excellent past customer service experience is driving the factor to influence their purchasing decision. And that live chat is an important feature for 2022 and that 43% of consumers surveyed said they were likely to use live chat in the next year. And later in the report, they talk about how um, a large percentage of those that use live chat convert within one day. So maybe we need to expand our live chat hours. We've, we've basically limited our live chat hours to during work hours because we have more people to manage the live chat. But I'm realizing that at some level, what it may come down to is it may come down to me just having to be on call every night, all night long to answer live chat questions, which, you know what? I'm willing to test it because if it works, it works and we need to do it if it works. So, all right, let's move on a little bit. They talk about the future of retail here and um, I'm not going to go too much into detail because it doesn't affect us as much. But the, uh, the point that they make is that the demand for in-store shopping is on the rise since COVID. A lot of people want in-store experiences and because of a lot of businesses going out of business during COVID, retail space is actually relatively cheap and easy to come by. So there is a lot of ideas about saying, okay, if you're an e-commerce store that was successful, maybe it's time to look at starting a retail location and then creating a, a you know, a, a unified experience between them. Now, long-term, I love this idea. I love this idea a lot. I've always wanted to have a workshop, maybe multiple workshops around the country where people could come into the workshop and they could literally pick out their piece of leather and the person would cut it out in front of their very eyes and laser engrave it in front of their very eyes and assemble it right before them. They could maybe add some additional customization that isn't available on the website. Maybe they can, I don't know, uh, pick, um, pick hardware that's a different color, right? Something we've never done before. So that would be a great, and we could create a really cool experience. We could have a really cool, you know, aesthetic and, and feel for the workshop so that people really feel like they're kind of stepping back in time and I think that's something that would be a great experience. It would be a compelling pitch to someone who is interested in that kind of thing. So long-term, I think it's a great fit for us. They talk about using pop-up locations as a way to test interest in local, you know, in a local place. And I went back through all of our reports and I found the top 40 cities that we sold to. And I don't know if we're actually going to do pop-ups this year. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts to make that work. But just based off of the preliminary research I did, it makes sense to do one potentially in Texas, whether in Austin or Fort Worth. Those would kind of be the area, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Those are the two big areas, although Texas, I think we did Fort Worth, Austin, Dallas, Houston, um, San Antonio. Those were the big, were big cities for us. So doing something in that environment would be a good environment for us. Atlanta was a big one, Tampa, Florida. Um, there's a lot of really good, I think, areas where we could do pop-ups and I want to try that. But like I said, I've only done a little bit of research into this and I can tell from my early research, it's going to require some real forethought and expertise that we have to cultivate if we're going to do it. Uh, they talk about quick delivery and how using local shops and local locations to do shipping can allow for quick delivery. And that's a big part of this. Uh, it also really makes a, a big uh, 
a big effect. A sense of community is a top motivator to visit local shops out of the consumers that were surveyed. 81% of Gen Z consumers in the United States prefer to shop in stores to discover new products. When I read that, I was just shocked. And I think I need to think about that a little more. Now, am I surprised? Not really. I think there's always a pendulum swing. People like, I think, the serendipity of discovering new things when they shop. But that one did surprise me. That's a significant portion of Gen Z. So when we're talking long-term for the company, as we look to the future, it makes sense, it makes sense for us to say, look, Gen Z is our next target market. We've got to be prepared that in a couple of years, we would be able to cater to their specific desires, which obviously is in-store shopping. So talk a little more about pop-up, use customer profiles to offer personalized recommendations, a lot of technology-based stuff. Um, they do talk about how the average order value is around 60 to 80% higher for customers who came into the store in their example uh, to shop. So that's, that would be interesting. Um, Blah, 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 blah. They talk about omni-channel, which is just the idea that you can have a, a seamless experience in store and out of store that you could be able to look at something online, like it. You could walk into the store and you could find that same thing. Maybe you purchase online, maybe you purchase in store, but having a unified experience across these different places. Um, and I even kind of, I had a couple of my notes in here about what our, our location might look like if we were to do that. Um, let's move on to the last part that really... Uh, I don't know. This is going to be interesting. So, 43% of consumers say they're likely to use live chat. 58% of consumers say the ability to reach customer service on their preferred channel influences their decision to purchase. So, that means that we need to be everywhere you guys are. Which means we need to have all of our social medias available. We need to have Discord, Telegram, live chat, email. We've got to be everywhere, which is difficult. I'm hoping that we can get a better integrated suite of customer service software that allows for us to integrate all of the many, many, many ways that you guys can reach out to us into one portal so that we can keep that unified. Because if we have to have someone whose job is to watch every individual inbox, that's 15 tabs open on a window. That's that'd be impossible if it was, if we had to do it on the native platforms themselves. So trying to figure out ways to integrate a lot of these customer service locations into or streamline them into as few windows as pop possible allows for us to have a better um, discussion, but 58% of consumers purchase from brands who they have an excellent past experience with customer service. This is a big strength for us. We have had amazing success with our customer service and our relationships. Melinda, who is the person that you're most likely to talk to on the phone or reach out via email, she's done an amazing job cultivating good relationships and helping solve problems when people have, are unhappy with things. Um, there's a gentleman who posted something negative on our social media on Saturday. Well, he posted, I think, on Friday, but I saw it Saturday. I responded to him and I did my best to take care of him and address his concerns in the social media. I then sent him an email that same night. It's like Saturday at like 7 p.m. I was putting James down to bed. I sent him an email basically saying, hey, you said you were disappointed in the product. I want to help facilitate a return and I want to get more information from you about what you didn't like, right? Because we're always working on developing new products and trying to come up with better ways to improve our product. So, you know, I, I want to take your feedback seriously. He called me on the phone on our company line. And I saw the phone ring and I could see his name in the caller ID. So I answered it's 8 a.m. 8 p.m. on a Saturday. I answer it and I had a wonderful hour long conversation with him. And the feedback he had was excellent. It was good information. It was 
not when I, when he said it, I, I, it wasn't a new thing that I had heard. Um, the short version, I'll just give you the short version was that his concern was that he felt like the executive cut folio was too thick and too heavy. Now, this is something we've dealt with in the past. We've heard about this in the past. Originally, that was not the problem. In fact, we had the reverse problem where it was too floppy and flimsy and people didn't like it. They didn't feel like they were getting their money's worth. And we did some research and figured out that most people don't carry that much in their folios. And so having something that has a lot of heft to it, even when empty, uh, was something that kind of helped make people make it feel like it was really worth the money because it is. So I had a long discussion with him. I explained how this was kind of our, we had, we'd gone through this path a little bit. And, but, but the fact that he brought the concern to me is, is something that maybe we need to do a light version of the product. Maybe we need to do an intentionally um, lightened version of the design that would allow for people to have a little bit more of a, an experience like that. We did, I, he ended up buying two different products additionally. So that was an amazing success story. I think of our customer service, being able to turn someone who was very negative into a positive experience. And that is, I think, something that we as a small business can really excel at. And I think we have to excel at it because that's going to be critical to success. All right, let's jump forward to the future of shipping and logistics because this is where it gets interesting. Really, I mean, it's all interesting, but everyone's talking about supply chain, how this is a huge issue, um, blah, 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 blah. One of the things that I didn't like in this report is that McKinsey, which is a big research company, reports that significant disruption to manufacturing production now occur on average every three to 3.7 years, which is not good. <laughs> anyway, what, what it really means is it means that we need to continue to do what we've always done, which is to improve and strengthen our domestic suppliers. We need to work on finding multiple sources of all of our pieces from domestic suppliers. Because that allows for us to avoid the global shipping problems and it allows for us to have a really good supply chain in, in, in play. And that's always, that's actually just good advice all around in general for that. So um, then they're talking about uh, the issue of shortages in the time. In an era when 60% of global consumers expect same next or two day delivery, customers aren't above turning to competitors to get goods when products are delayed or unavailable. The Amazon effect. People just assume that they can get things in two days. And the reason why is because oftentimes they can. Well, that creates a really competitive environment that's really challenging for companies like mine where we actually make things because it's not like your order is sitting on the shelf before you order it. It's something that's made to order. So this means that we have to be really on top of our production. We've got to be absolutely on top of our production and we have to offer good options for shipping and we have to be reliable on that. Um, there's a couple of ideas on, you know, how do you improve that is, is uh, purchase online, pick up in store. Unfortunately, we don't have enough locations to really make that happen with being the one workshop that we have is in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. So um, there's a couple of things about creating transparency with customers. This is an area where actually I think we have some opportunity to develop. What I mean by that is our order tickets have a barcode on the top of them. That is the order number itself. We don't have the systems in place, but one of the things that we've talked about in general is having it so that. When, here's the, our, the short two-second two version of how our system works. You, we print out the order ticket after you place your order. That order ticket is then the, the cutting people have lists of things that they need to cut out. They cut them out. They put them on the shelf. The engraving people then take the order tickets, go and pick the item off the shelf. They go and engrave the leather because that's what they're picking off the shelf is the leather. Then it goes into the washing station and then it goes to drying. And then what ends up happening is the assembly people make the product itself and then it goes into the shipping. Now, technologically, I think we could manage to have it so that there could be scanners at the different workstations, right? And the order ticket could be scanned in, for example, when it goes into engraving. 
and when it goes into assembly and when it goes into shipping. And we would potentially have the opportunity so that customers could be texted or emailed saying, hey, your order is now an engraving. Your order is now an assembly. Your order is now in shipping. Now, there, there's a downside to that, which is you're going to get four emails probably in the same day or in one to two days, you're going to get those emails because it's going to happen that fast. That's how fast things will go from engraving to, I mean, normally things will sit in engraving for a few hours depending on how big of stack we have to engrave. And then after that, they'll go into assembly and the time it takes to go from assembly to shelf to shipping is normally no more than two or three hours. So, I mean, you could track it along and that kind of transparency might be good, but it also could be annoying. So we got to balance that out, but I think it's interesting. Uh, they talk about using uh, third-party logistics, which doesn't really fit with our model at all because almost everything that goes out of our store is, comp is uh, customized. Uh, uh, there's a couple ideas about how to build out automations into your inventory system so that there's it automatically informs your supplier when it thinks you're getting low. A lot of that's cool ideas. We do some of that, by the way. Now, one of the things they're talking about is consumers are seeking sustainable operated, sustainably operated businesses. And this is an area where we are good at it on accident. And we don't make a good, well, we are not good on accident. We're good on very, it's, this is actually very intentional for us. We are very good at this on purpose, but it's not something we focus on and we should which is that we need to advertise our buy it for life attitude and our 120 year warranty. We also need to focus on that leather is a renewable resource that can be eliminate the use of a non-renewable resource, mainly plastic, right? This is a huge win for us, right? We're making something that otherwise would go in the garbage, right? Mainly the biological waste from the meatpacking industry. We're able to convert that into something that is a very durable good that will last you and is refillable with a recyclable material for your entire life and beyond. That is a huge win for us. And we are absolutely right dead center of that option. Now, one of the areas that we're obviously going to be going up against is we're going up against kind of a backstop of the people who are most interested in this are also people who are traditionally perhaps vegan or more prone to that. So this is an area of development where we've been looking at a new type of vegan alternative. It's just going to take time to develop. We've gone through about 25 different products now, 25 different materials for vegan options for our products. And it's just, it doesn't, there's not a lot of good fits. The one thing I, I'm looking at now is maybe a type of canvas. It's like a waxed canvas, but we've got to find one that's the right thickness, the right, you know, durability, the right feel and hand. And all of these things are elements that are just, I don't know the answer to yet. So this is where we go back to challenges in that regard. There's a lot of elements about working on spotlighting our, our fair treatment of our workers, right? Because this is an area where a lot of people care about, are you treating your people well? And we absolutely are. We have a wonderful team, a very small, wonderful team of people who are very happy to go to work. They love working there. I love them. They take good care of me too. Um, so it's definitely a two-way street. And I, I want to focus on the fact that when you're buying from, a, I was, this is the, one of the, I texted this customer who had mentioned, who, the one who'd reached out to us, who was unhappy on social media. And I, I called him that or he called us that night. I'd sent him a text message because we were talking afterwards via text. And I, I sent him a text message back saying, I think you might appreciate this, but here's something you should know. Evan's going to be the one punching the leather out. Melinda would be the one cutting the roughs. Evan's the one punching it out. Anna's the one that's going to be doing the engraving and either Sonia or Aaron will be making your product. And then Meryl will probably be doing the shipping. Those are real people who are actually making this thing, and every one of them appreciates that you purchased from our small business. It means the world to them. And this is part of us that we really can actually win in this area, I think, really well, because we genuinely are good at this. So it's an area for us. 
uh, focusing on sustainability. And, and we've actually done pretty good on this. Um, 40, 46% of consumers are more likely to purchase a product online if they're able to recycle the product packaging. All of the Murdy Creative Co. packaging is recyclable. From the tape on the box, to the box itself, to the Tyvek envelope, which is, by the way, made from recyclable, with 10% post-recycled in, uh, stuff, um, to the, pat, the brown paper that we put in there to, to pad it out. Like, all of those things are recyclable. We did that on purpose. That is not by accident at all. We don't focus on this. We don't mention that anywhere in our marketing. We don't focus mention that anywhere on the website. And so this is an area for us that I think is, you know, an interesting thing. There's discussions about uh, offsetting carbon emissions. Frankly, I'd, I'd like to look into that more, uh, figure out what that would actually cost, because at some level it's the right thing to do, and I don't think it'll be that big of an expense for us. So this is an area where I think we're going to be good. Now, this is the big area for us. Customers choose to shop with brands that are transparent around delivery times. This is an area where we have failed. Now, if you would ask my admin team or anybody that works at this company, all of them would say, we've done really good at this. And the answer is, is no, we haven't. And here's why. We post at the header of our website, in the cart, and at the checkout what our crafting lead times are. We still have customers, a lot of customers, who do not understand our lead times. They don't understand what, how long the crafting lead time is. They don't understand what the delivery window is. They don't understand the relationship between those two. So while we think that we've got this great way of communicating with the customers about our lead times and that we're being transparent, the answer is we are not because they're not seeing it. They're not understanding it. So regardless of how good we think we are at this, we aren't because the results speak for themselves. So. Last night, after reading this report, I went in and I added a new application to our website. And this is brand new with virtually no testing. And I have this, this could be a disaster, but I don't think it will be. If you go to any of our product pages, if you add anything to the cart, if you check out anything, it will show up in your order. We're working on making it so that it shows up in your order confirmation email, which I think it will. It will tell you exactly the timeline in days when you're going to get your product it'll say on the product page for example order placed february 14th and then it'll say order processing february 15th and february or feb through february 16th 16th right and it might not take both days it's just it's just saying it could take two days and then it says order delivery from february 16th through february 24th right based off of what shipping you select and we have that as something that is an interesting element that's everywhere on all of the product pages, in the, like I said, in the cart and at the checkout. I'm hoping that because those are specific days, that will allow people to have a better sense of that. Now, this is an interesting area, and this is a problem. Thanks to industry leaders, customers have already been consumed to conditioned to expect fast, free, on-time delivery. And free shipping continues to be a significant influence on purchasing for 75% of global shoppers, with 58% of people expecting free next-day delivery. Thank you, Urban Centers. Holy smokes. 58% of people expecting free next-day delivery. What? Now, this is probably because I've always lived in Wisconsin in the boonies. So, free next-day shi next shipping for us would be impossible in where I live. Like you, you would be virtually impossible to get any major company to free ship next day out to here. It'd be ridiculously expensive. Now, obviously in urban centers like Chicago, 
New York, LA, even places, you know, Austin, all of the areas where there's major re resources that Amazon have put into that area, as well as other major competitors to Amazon, they can do next day because they're shipping from a local store, right? So it's going to get there next day on accident. Anyway, this is a big issue. So 75% uh, of people say that it's a significant or very significant influence that they have free shipping. 60% of people say it's a significant or very significant influence to have fast shipping. And 53% of people say it's significant or very significant to be flexible in the shipping. So this is an issue where it's an issue. It is. Brands that aren't able to de deliver, fulfill their delivery promises are in trouble. A 2020 survey found that packages were, when packages were delayed, but the customers weren't informed, 69.7 of them would be less likely to shop with that retailer again. Now, this is a problem because the time that packages are often delayed through no fault of our own, right? It's not our fault that UPS has a storm that they can't get through, right? Like this is an area where there's a challenge that We've got to get better about finding technology that can inform customers in real time of the tracking information from the supplier, from the, the, the tracking company, from the shipping company. Now, we got to figure that out because that's an issue. 32% um, of customers have abandoned their carts because the estimated shipping time was too long and 22 because they were percent, uh, abandoned because there was no guarantee of delivery date. That is shocking to me. But now we have that. So hopefully we're solving this problem. 45% of shoppers are looking for businesses who clearly show anticipated delivery times. So I'm really hoping that with this new application integrated in our website, we can capture a lot of customers who were unhappy because we didn't necessarily have that very well before. 74% of consumers are influenced by price, while 68% are influenced by the estimated total delivery time. This is interesting. We could offer, as a company, the Murdy Creative Company could offer free two-day shipping on every order. We'd have to raise our prices by between $10 and $15 across the board. So, if price is actually more influential than delivery times, that would belie that that type of price increase to accomplish that would not necessarily be worth it, but there's a balance that has to be struck. Uh, people want regular shipping updates and delivery options that suit their needs, which ironic, which is hilarious to me because if you want shipping options that you suit your needs, but 58% of customers expect next day delivery, what? Like, that's not options. That's 58% of customers want it the next, expect it most, 60, almost 60% of customers expect it next day, but still want options, right? <laughs> anyway, um, they expect to be when the inform of the when the order is prepared and shipped. This goes back to our scanning idea, and that could be there's something to that. Uh, consider using space on your online store like a banner that advertises customers when they might receive their order, even before they've reached the checkout page. We're starting to do this now, and I think we're going to be doing this really well. Um, I liked this one. Asking a customer for feedback on a product when they haven't received it can magnify frustrations. This has actually been a, something that's been a problem for us in the past, and I do not like that it's a problem for us in the past. The main problem is because our, our feedback emails are based on a time frame, like post when you've ordered. But if we've got back orders of, like, for example, when we ran out of espresso and we had to back order that for a certain amount of time, there was a lot of people whose orders, the, the time, timer from the time when they ordered to the time that they got asked about their feedback was shorter than the backlog and the delay. 
So that's an issue where we need to work on figuring out how to time out our emails so that they are based off of when the shipping happens, not when the order happens. But these things. One of the things they talk about is that you need to have real people who are capable of proactively responding and resolving issues, which we are good at. We have real people, me and Melinda, basically, sometimes Meryl, depending on how busy Melinda is, um, will be the people ask, answering your questions. This is interesting because this is actually really interesting in a good way for us. In the midst of uncertainty, it is important to remember that people are reasonable and willing to adjust their shopping patterns. Almost half of people are committed to making purchases early to guarantee their delivery by the set date that they wanted. Recently, smaller brands especially have shifted back to a five to seven day shipping period. So this is an area where actually five to seven days for crafting lead times probably wasn't terrible. But when you consider the fact that we've got three to five days of delivery time, that's a problem. So for us to say now that you can order and get predicted crafting lead times on the product page and predicted delivery dates, which would also include the fact that there's weekends, right? Like this is, this is the thing I like about this is that the, the process of the, the application that we're using allows for us to include the idea that your delivery window is going to exclude Sunday because nobody delivers on Sunday. So that's, you're not going to, so that's adding time to your lead time, but that's realistic. That creates a better, more realistic lead time. 44% of consumers expect deliveries to take a week, a, a week or longer to arrive. And this goes back to the idea that 58% of customers supposedly want it next day. So there's an overlap here in their research that I don't know how to like square this, is the idea that 58% of people want it next day, expect it next day, and 44% of the people are expecting deliveries to take a week or longer to arrive. That math doesn't quite add up, but I'm sure that there's conflicting research in this particular area. Millennials and Gen Z shoppers are up to three times more likely to want to pay for expedited shipping. Interesting. Now, what that really tells me is that offering free two-day shipping might not be the right answer, and that's actually not the direction we went because of this. So, after reading all of the shipping and the logistics in this report, I made a decision. Every order regardless of how much you pay, is going to receive free ground shipping in domestic shipments. Now, I am concerned about this, I will say. We just did a price increase, but the price increase that we just did did not account for us to have to deal with an increased in expense in shipping, and it did not take that into account at all. But, a big issue right now is that our conversion rate is really low. Only 46% of the people who initiate checkout on our website complete checkout. I have no idea if that's good or bad, realistically. I'm still doing research on that question. But what I can tell you is that the only reason I can think of someone abandoning checkout once they hit the checkout button is because of shipping and tax. So if we can say that now, on our website, you get an accurate lead time estimate about with like days. Like it says, February 14th is your order. February 15th through 16th is when your order is made. And February 19th through 24th, for example, is when the estimated delivery window is, right? So it's giving you actual days for delivery estimates. It also will now have free shipping and free ground shipping, I should say. And if you would like to update or upgrade to next day air or two day air, that'll be an option as well. So. I'm hoping between the free shipping option 
and the estimated delivery dates, we can work on increasing our conversion rate of people who hit our cart and hit checkout, but don't actually complete that because 46% is too low. It is way, way, way too low. And we've got to improve our conversion rates. And here's the thing. We can actually deal with the increased cost of the shipping if our conversion rates improve the volume, right? If we're selling a lot more product, we can deal with that because the major, our major burden right now, the thing that's slowing us down is that we have a lot of employees, a lot of staff, and a high labor costs because we pay them pretty well. And we have those as a kind of a remnant of our Christmas time, but also because we need that many people to be able to have a stable labor force, right? We need to have that, the number of people we have, which is like nine, eight or nine people, right? The reason why we have that is because if someone gets sick, if someone goes on vacation, we have enough labor to compensate, right? And more importantly, it allows for us to have the ability where if a customer came to us and said, we want 100 or 200, we have the ability to scale relatively quickly and produce that many, right? If you have four people, you're limited in your ability to, to produce, right? But right now, we have a pretty solid team that can produce a lot more than we're currently selling, and we need to solve that problem. So we need to improve our conversion rate. So these are all of the many, many elements that I'm dealing with, and this report was eye-opening in a lot of ways. There's good news, and the good news is this. We have a strong brand with strong brand values that focus on sustainability and are genuinely sustainable. We have a great team of people who are very happy with their jobs and do very good work and are very committed to the cause, and people, I think, can appreciate that. And also, we have a really cool process. We make a cool product. It's visually appealing and it's interesting. And we make it in an interesting way. And so we can showcase that through better advertising that focuses on that transparency. Finally, and this is going to be an important element kind of working backwards, is we've got to work on creating a better method of communicating and having roundtable discussions with our customers. I think Discord might be a good option. I mean, I think that one of the areas that's going to be a problem for us is that Discord is designed predominantly and is more popular with Young, the younger generation and a lot of our customers are of the older ilk. So it's going to be trickier to pull that off, but we can implement the discord. And even if it's not like gangbusters successful out of the gate, it may become more successful over time. And it's a good investment long-term anyway. So maybe that's the right place, but regardless, we need to figure out ways to have roundtable discussions with our customers and get more information and feedback from them about why they made the decisions that they did and what were the factors that influenced them. Because that's that first person, that's that first party data that we need to have because we're not going to have 30 party data pretty soon. In fact, in the report, it says that the estimates are that marketers will abandon cookies entirely by 2025. What that means is that by 2025, any effort to track you online will be futile, at least for an advertiser's perspective. I'm sure the government will still keep an eye on you, but regardless, because of that, it's going to create a, I think it's going to create a real problem because it's going to force marketing people and companies like mine to have to go back to shotgun style marketing where you just put television commercials out there and you hope it works because you don't know who it's going to be put in front of. But maybe we'll find a solution to that. Maybe we'll get better at this. And there's a lot of opportunities for the company. I'm, I'm, I'm overall very bullish on our future long term. It's just getting through this part. And I think that this new free shipping op opportunity that we're, this new free shipping option for every order that's, you know, free domestic shipping and this specific estimated lead time information can be very valuable. And I'm hoping that it generates real success. So.
who knows? I know this was a much longer episode. I appreciate all of you who are bearing with me and for those of you who are interested in this particular topic. Obviously, this report is complicated. There's like I barely scratched the surface. This is a 139-page report with all of the footnotes, by the way, and the research in the back of it. So you can reach this. I am going to put a link to the PDF in the description for the, the podcast itself. So if you would like to go download a copy of the report and read through all of the many details, it's actually really quite interesting. I know that it may not be interesting for everybody, but even if you're not in business, it might be interesting to see what people are saying about you, the customer, in the research world. Uh, and it might be very valuable for you to see, as someone who isn't a business owner, what kind of things affect us as business owners so that you can become a better and more informed shopper. All good things, I think. Anyway, thank you guys for tuning in today. Be sure to check back in on Thursday for our next topic. And don't forget to check that subscribe button as well as the notification bell to get notified of our latest podcast right away. If you have any questions or concerns about your leather binder, journal, folio, anything else we sell, please feel free to contact us on the main page of our website at murdycreative.co. You can contact us via Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, you can also reach out to us on our via text and call 414-434-9001. We also have the live chat available on the website now, so you can reach out to us via the live chat. We have a lot of different ways of getting a hold of us, and we want you to get a hold of us. We want to have that relationship. We want to talk to you um, because that's an area where we can help. Even if it's just something as simple as, I don't know which product I need. That is a product. That is an, a question we can help you with for sure. So if you want to call us on the phone, though, and you want to place an order over the phone, we can help with that. You can call us 414-434-9001, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central Time. We're not open on federal holidays, though, so keep that in mind. Um, you can also text us at that number as well, 414-434-9001. If you're going to call us and you don't get a hold of us for whatever reason, you want to leave us a voicemail, please do so. We will answer them. We will respond to them. We do listen to the voicemails. But if you're going to leave us a voicemail about a specific order, please include that order number. It starts with the letter S and then it's a bunch of numbers. That allows us to better find and triangulate which order we're talking about. Sometimes people will call and they'll leave their first name and that's it. And that's not very helpful when we're trying to figure out what the problem is and figure out how to solve it. So any information you can provide about the order number or anything else like that, we're happy to help. If for whatever reason you're you know, curious about where your order is, you're seeing delays, you want to know more, we are happy to help. There is only so much we can do to make a package that's stuck at UPS move. That's a problem that we're still working with our UPS reps to solve, but um, we still can look into it if you'd like. If you think we deserve it, a good review can go a long way to help us grow. A good review actually means a huge, huge bit in this kind of world here. People want to know how a company is doing, and they want to hear it from somebody other than us. So you can go read all of our amazing reviews at murdycreative.co slash reviews, or you can go to facebook.com slash murdycreative.co slash reviews and leave your review there. There's actually a button on our reviews page that'll take you right there too. It says, do you recommend the Murdy Creative Company? You click yes, and then you can write your amazing review. We love them. We read them. They go up on the wall in our break room. It means the world to us. We are a small company. So when someone says, I love this product, First of all, we know your name. We know who you ordered from. And we actually know, in most cases, who made your product like by name, right? We know which person made your product, like I mentioned. So when you say, hey, I love my binder, Erin's the one that put it together, right? So Erin feels really good about her work. So these are areas where that, that kind of good feedback really does mean the world to us. If for whatever reason you would leave us a bad review, please, please, please get in contact with us first. There's another button there that says get directly in contact with us. It is important for me personally that everyone has a good experience with our company. That's why I answered the phone at Saturday at 8 p.m. to help with this customer, right? I really, really, really desperately want everyone to be happy, even if it means that you return your product and get a refund, right? If, if you don't like your product, I don't want you to have to keep it just because you, you know, you bought it, right? I want you to be happy. So please, 
If you're unhappy for any reason, give us an opportunity to make it right. We will do everything we can, including refunding and recrafting, to do that. But you need to reach out to us so that we know that you're unhappy because there's no way for us to know that otherwise. So please give us that opportunity first. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising, so please tell your friends. We have our double loyalty point rewards and double uh, sharing discount going or bonus going right now. So if you go and you place an order on our website while you're logged in, you get twice the number of the Murdy Creative Coins that you would normally get, which translates to 10% back. You get 10% back off whatever purchase you make as in-store credit that can be spent on any product that we sell, right? So it's not limited to a specific collection. There's also a shareable link there. If you go to the bottom left-hand corner, you click on the rewards window, it'll pop up in your pane. You can see all your coins that you have there, but also has that shareable link. That shareable link, when you give that to your family and friends, they get $10 rather than five off their first purchase, and you get $10 of in-store credit when you make that referral. So it's a great opportunity for us. Um, when they make that purchase, I should say, that's when you get the $10. It helps us. It helps them. It helps you. It's wonderful all around. Please go check that out if you're interested. If you have podcast topics you want to hear more about, send them my way. I'm always looking for new ideas, new topics to talk about. Frankly, this is a community. If you guys want to know something about behind the scenes, if you want to know um, what I had for breakfast, just ask. Put it in the comments below on YouTube and, uh, or you send us an email, sales, S-A-L-E-S, at merdycreative.co, and we'd be happy to talk about things. I mean, frankly, I'm a pretty open book when it comes to the back end of things, so if I can talk about it, I will. If you're looking for multiple items for any reason, gifts, giveaways, menus, client gifts, employee gifts, anything like that, we do have bulk discounts available. Bulk discounts start at a minimum order quantity of five, and they go up from there, and they are based entirely on the cart quantity itself. So you can mix and match to your heart's desire. It's only based off the total cart quantity. Um, some things, specifically, are eliminated from the bulk discount, and I'll give you an example. Add additional engraving. The add additional engraving is another item in our store. So if you added five add additional engravings to your product, it would look like a bulk discount. So that particular product has been exempted from the bulk because it's not really an additional product. So if you are looking at it, your cart and you're saying, hey, I have five items in my cart, but I'm not seeing the bulk discount. A, reach out to us. We're happy to help troubleshoot that. If it's actually broken, we want to fix it. But B, it may be that one of the products is something that's not eligible for the bulk discounts just because of the nature of the product itself. I can only think of the add additional engraving right now. It's the only one I can think of that's like that. But that is one that's like that. So keep that in mind. Our bulk discounts go up quite a ways, so, you know, it's, it's great. If you don't have a specific quantity in mind, but you have a specific kind of price point that you're shooting for, um, reach out to us with that. We can work on figuring out if there's a, price, there's a volume that fits that price point for us, and we can work with you on, on solving that problem. We offer custom engraving on everything we offer. Currently on the website, built into the website, we have custom the customizers operational for everything but the composition and the executive cut notebook. Those are hopefully, hopefully coming soon. Um, we're very excited about getting this fully operational. This will allow anybody to add anything to their folio, except for copyright things. That's a totally different story. Anyway, so it is no setup fees, no minimum order quantities. It's a simple flat fee, normally $15. It can go up a little bit if you're getting a multiple engraving SERP. It's large or complicated, things like that. Normally it's only $15 though, and that's pre-book discount. So let's say you want a slim cut binder and you want to get a logo on it and then you want to get five of those, that $15 per item actually is a lot less because of the bulk discount. So that's awesome. Check that out. Uh, we want to be able to give you guys the tools to make something even more beautiful on our products. So check that if you're interested. If you're interested in getting a composition cut and an executive cut, by the way, send us an email. We can create custom orders for those. It's just a different process. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great day and goodbye.